0: This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform for creating a blog, website, portfolio, or an online store. To create your own space, visit squarespace.com and save 10% by using offer code TREK8. And also by TrekFan. It's not just a fan club, it's an adventure. You'll explore new places, learn new things, and collaborate with other fans to solve puzzles, complete real-life mission objectives, and win great prizes. Don't miss out. Help move us toward the Star Trek future by visiting trekfan.org. Plus, if you'd like to support our programming personally, visit TrekDotFilm/slash/donate to get our new alien badges and art prints featuring original illustration by Tobu Ushi. Hi, I'm Anthony Montgomery, Ensign Travis Mayweather
1: on Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Trek FM. How we doing, Tripp? Ready when you are. Prepare for warp. Of
0: course laid in, sir. Request permission to get underway. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Warp 5, our dedicated Star Trek Enterprise show. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me as she is every single week from down in Australia is Kate Walsh. Kate, uh, you know... I remembered that you've been a little bit under the weather this week, and I have to ask you, you didn't drop by Cold Station 12, did you? Because there's a lot of pathogens floating around that place.
1: Well, I did pop in the other day, now that you mention it. I, um, I honestly thought that it was, it was going to be quite safe, but I happened to walk past this chamber, and uh, I thought it smelled a bit funny at the time.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I understand you thinking it was going to be fine, because, you know, Dr. Lucas... He he looks so cuddly. He's like everybody's grandpa and yet you have to feel comfortable around him.
1: Well that, that's right and you know he's the kind of man that you can trust your confidences with as well so you know he really engenders this trust.
0: He does. He does. So so I get it but best to steer clear of that place. Just don't go around there. That that's the best course of action.
1: Yeah, stick to Cold Station 11 nothing
0: ever happens there it's just calm all the time
1: <laughs> i don't even want to go anywhere near cold station 13
0: no it's like why kirk they should have docked at deep space station k6 because then you know that whole triple incident would have never happened
1: oh well this is right isn't it but uh, then we wouldn't have had a very good episode
0: that's true and then your favorite show, Deep Space Nine, would not have been able to revisit that episode for the 30th oh, anniversary of oh, Star that would have been Trek.
1: a real shame.
0: <laughs> it would have. That's a fantastic episode. Plus, they leave us hanging with great mysteries about the Klingons and their foreheads. And I know we're not going to get into that on Warp 5 today, but at least Warp didn't try to explain it in the way that the extension of the episodes that we're going to talk about tonight did on Enterprise.
1: And, and that's an interesting point. I mean, this particular epi- um, issue in Star Trek is not one that I'm, was particularly looking to have explained. I'm quite comfortable right. with just accepting it for <laughs> what it was. You know?
0: <laughs> Same here. Yeah. It's an interesting debate. I fans love to debate the Klingon forehead issue and, it's a simple case of makeup and budget and, mm. you know, deciding when you go to the big screen that you want to make those aliens look a little more alien. That's, personally, that's the only explanation that I need. So I liked Worf's explanation of just, it's a long story.
1: <laughs> and let's leave it at Maybe that. some other time.
0: <laughs> but we're not going to talk about Worf on this show, of course, because this is our Enterprise show. But what we are going to talk about tonight is the three-part Soong's Augment arc from the fourth season of Enterprise, which consists of Borderland, Cold Station 12, and the Augments, and also features one of the brilliant guest performances in Star Trek where Brent Spiner plays an ancestor of Data, and Noonien Soong, Dr. Arik Soong. That's right, uh-
1: Dr. Eric Sung is uh, such an interesting character in this uh, particular three-part series. Um, Brent Spiner, in my mind, does a brilliant job. He's such an interesting actor and and the way that he portrays this character, it just has so much depth from my perspective. So how about you, Chris? How did you take it?
0: Yeah, Brent Spiner really makes these episodes work for me, because I'm kind of mixed overall on the arc. There are parts of it that I love, and there are parts of it that I really don't like at all. So it's a mixed bag for me. But Brent Spiner, from start to finish, I think does a brilliant job of playing Eric Soong. And I think that it, well, Scott Bakula, of course, has a very strong screen presence. But what impresses me about Brent Spiner in these episodes is that because of his role in the star Trek universe. And at the point that these episodes are being shot in 2004, we have all lived with Brent Spiner as data for almost two decades, 15 years anyway. And yet, especially in the augments where he has come back to the enterprise and they're uh, you know trying to negotiate uh, with the the Klingons, and he's on the bridge with Archer. Archer seems like the head figure in those scenes, and Soong really feels like this guy who is the subordinate, who's scared, who's you know trying grasping at straws for his own survival, and I think it's challenging. In that situation, because Brent Spiner's presence in Star Trek is so strong, it would be easy for him to dominate the rest of the cast just being on screen, but he mm. doesn't. And so I think it's a very impressive job that he did.
1: And I also think if you contrast that with the first episode in this trilogy, um, Borderland, and when we first are introduced to the character that Brent Spiner's playing, and to me, he comes across as this madman. He almost reminds me of um, Hannibal Lecter. And okay, he's yeah. she's got such a strong presence in that cell. Uh-huh. And you're thinking, oh God, how's Archer going to handle this guy? And, um right. And as you say, to then contrast that with how he comes across at the end and the conflict that he has with the augments in the middle of this arc. It's just so complex. And as I watch it, as you say, um, I'm of a similar mindset. I have mixed feelings about these episodes. I don't think that they're all of the same quality. There are things that I don't like about about them in certain respects. I am um, I and I, I, I as I watch it I wonder, you know, how well written is the character of Sung, um, what how much of it is the the writing and how much of it is, is Brett Spiner because yeah. to me his character stands out so much more than the other characters and the other elements of this story.
0: Well, they added depth to, or at least Prince Spiner added depth to Eric Soong. But I think the writers did too over the course of the story because the char- well, we're going to talk about Malik in just a minute. Now, Malik is a character I really do not like in the story. And the reason I even mention him at this point in the discussion is because you talk about how soon stands out a lot more than the other characters. And the problem is that the other characters, particularly Malik, are really two dimensional. They're really cardboard characters, whereas Soong actually does have some depth to him. And, you know, you asked uh, off the air, how do we interpret the actions of Soong? And I think that's really important in this story and I think that Soong actually legitimately wants to improve mankind through genetic engineering. But things went wrong. He got in trouble. Uh, of course, he did some things that people would view as unethical, which got him in trouble, of course, because he's dealing with genetic engineering. And, and we know here that by the 22nd century, genetic engineering has been banned on Earth even in cases where it could be used to cure fatal illnesses because of what happened in the eugenics wars. And it actually reminds me, you know, as we record this, there's the whole big debate about Syria and the possible use of chemical weapons and such. And the reason it's a big deal is because, you know, we have weapons that have been used in wars in the past year, which caused such devastation that we drew a line and we said, we're never going to allow the use of these things again. And in the Star Trek universe, genetic engineering is that thing because of Khan and the eugenics wars. And so he's doing something that he shouldn't be doing, but yet I think he actually has good intentions. He believes Mm -hmm. he can improve everyone in this way. And then as he sees things go wrong, He wants to fix those, you know, that's why he's trying to get rid of the violent tendencies later on. So there's some depth to this character is where I'm going with this. And I think that's why the presence is stronger than it is with the other, his children, if you will, here, the augments.
1: If I had one concern about the character uh, as it's portrayed is it would be that, it came across to me, and I hope this doesn't sound harsh, that Dr. Sung was unusually naive. You know, we're watching this story and we're watching yeah. Malek kind of going a bit nuts, a bit power hungry and, you know, defying him in in Cold Station 12 and, and yet he continues to, I don't even know that he just, you know, believes the best in people. He he's actually seems excessively naive at times.
0: Well, I think there are two things going on here. I think that that's certainly true to some extent. And at times, as I've watched these episodes, because I've seen this, little, this trilogy here many times, I've had the same feelings. And I've even commented on them before. And as I'm thinking right now, I think there are a couple of things going on here. And I think one of them is the fact that he was gone for a long time and these kids were roughly it was about ten years after he stole them from yep. Cold Station Twelve and took them there when he was arrested. And he's been gone for a long time and he remembers the the relationship with them as it was at that point in time. So he comes back and he still feels like he's their father, they're mm-hmm. his children. They're going to do whatever he says. That's why he tells Malik, you know, if you defy me again, I'm going to put you down and lock you away in the cellar. No basically, dinner for you. The, yeah, you're not going to see the light of day for a month because he feels like he still has that control. And what he forgets is that these kids have all grown up at this point mm. and they're going to defy him.
1: So perhaps he does still see them as children, not just as his kids, but still as children and hasn't really adapted to this new mindset.
0: He does. And it's a natural thing. And that's where I actually think that the writing is okay with me because, you know, I'm in that situation. I have children. I have a teenage son. And I think as parents, even as your children get older, they're still always your children. But as they get older, they will begin to defy you more and more, which is what we see here, particularly with Malik defying Soong. And he's, Soong is not prepared for that from Malik. And then Malik mm. is an extreme case because he's basically a psychopath and and he certainly has no respect for what Dr. Soon wants him to do.
1: So I guess with any other parent, you know, they still may struggle with uh, their children defying them, but they've gone through a process of seeing that emerge and of learning to deal with it over time.
0: Right. Yeah. And then he's just coming back into it after being gone for a long time. And he has not adjusted to the fact that he cannot dictate everything that these people do anymore, no matter how much they respect him. And, but I do think you're right that there also is a naivety on his part and that he probably, I feel like he does want to see the better things in people. He He's not the villain of this story by any means Malik mm. is the villain of the story. And Soong is, in a way, a, a victim of his own work in the past and his inability to control his work as well.
1: That is something that I, I do really enjoy about the episode. As I said, I'm, I'm, not, well, I'm not a major fan of the villain that we end up with. Yeah. But when you start watching this trilogy, uh, as I said to me, you go into it and you, you see this initial meeting with Archer and Sung and um you know it's at least for that first part i'm quite convinced that it, it's Sung that is the villain here and he's actually not yeah. as you say he's the victim he's quite a tragic character and um and and that's an element of the story that i really enjoy watching you know his transition there
0: well the villain that we do end up with of course is malik so malik obviously is being presented here as a kind con- Figure. And I actually always refer to Malik in these stories as a poor man's kind because <laughs> the writing, uh, particularly in The Augments, and, and I hate to say it because I love Michael Sussman's work and I love his writing in general. I'm not a big fan of The Augments, the third part of this trilogy. Mm. I think that Malik is very poorly written as a character. And I just. I don't feel any sympathy at all for his cause. Like Khan, you can you can at least see why Khan is upset with Kirk. You can see Khan is is not quite the madman that you maybe think he is. Just on the very surface, he's a bit more of a complex character. Whereas Malik here is just a psychopath. He just Basically, I know ultimately the idea is that he wants to start a war between the Klingons and Earth so that the augments can, you know, kind of come in and take over and come back to power. But really, I think he just wants to kill people. He seems to take great delight in releasing pathogens or just, you know, killing <laughs> his brother. It's just, he just wants to harm people and he seems to. I guess to take great delight in it. And that's something where I I just didn't feel that way about Khan completely. Mm. And um, if you read, I know this is what many fans will view as non canon, but there's a comic series about Khan. It's called Khan Ruling in Hell, and it fills in the gap between Space Seed and the Wrath of Khan. And in that story, you really truly learn. Why Khan is the way he is? When we get to the wrath of Khan, the character arc is really developed, and there's no character arc development for Malik here. He's just thrown in here as a madman, and so well, it just doesn't work for me.
1: Khan has emotional depth to him as a character, and mm-hmm. we don't see that with Malik. And there's even that scene where Song talks about, as you've mentioned. Um, engineering the aggressive tendencies out of future augments. Right. Which implies that the reason that Malik behaves the way he does is purely genetic. And that's a really uninteresting element yeah. of the story.
0: And I don't buy that either because Persis doesn't act that way. No. For example, the, the other augments don't act that way. It's just Malik.
1: The others are quite passive um, and, and almost you know unbelievably so in, in the way that they just go along with Malik or and even the leader before him
0: right yeah so and and i know it's hard to build a lot of character depth in 3 episodes but you could attempt to do so and i feel like part of the concept here in terms of the augments Okay. First, to stay on a positive note, what I do like about this is that I like the idea that they're going to fill in part of that augment history, that gap, and and they even reference the Botany Bay here, which is kind of cool mm. because they're paralleling Khan and the augments, but these are two separate paths. They're two separate groups of people. You yeah. know, they reference the legend of the Botany Bay, and. I do like the attempt here to fill this in. And it's kind of cool. I think they would have done better if they had not tried so closely to mimic Khan's behavior in Malik, because that's where you fall into a trap. Uh, you know, it's the same trap that Orsi and Lindelof fell into with Into Darkness as well. Of course, in that case, they're actually yeah. using the character of Khan. But here. You know, I kind of forgive the story more so because it's in the prime timeline and it's not actually, uh, you know, trying to recreate that,
1: mm.
0: but it comes to so
1: recreate the hairstyle with Malik a little bit.
0: Well, they did. They recreate the hairstyle. And of course, at the end of the augments, as he crawls across the bridge and he pulls himself up on the control panel mm. and the flames are going, it's it's not even an homage it's actually mm. a recreation of the scene and i don't like it when i like it when they do homages to past star trek i don't yeah. like it when they actually try to recreate moments and that's what they're getting were doing a little
1: there. bit into darknessy at that point yeah yeah
0: not quite that bad but yeah it's kind of heading that way
1: well this is something that we discussed a little bit when we spoke with Brannon Braga about the difference in style in that fourth season with Manicoto versus the way in which uh, Rick and Brannon dealt with their homages to the original series, um, mm-hmm. which was a, a much more subtle approach. I think that this was anything but subtle. Uh, it, it's not my preferred style, but you know, I know I know some fans are probably really going to enjoy that
0: well there's no doubt that this is a good trilogy and mm. this is a strong moment for enterprise i don't think it's as strong as the vulcan arc that we get you know with uh, Kirshara and and that arc in the forge and awakening but it's still mm. a strong arc and and it has a lot of great stuff in it i love the orions being
1: yeah. in
0: borderland it's quite nice and there are some subtle nods to past star trek in here as well the fact that they're going to the briar patch you know that's insurrection that's where the baku live in insurrection mm. and that's nice there, there are a lot of little nice touches in here so uh, so don't get me wrong
1: and there's nothing better than that moment when the slave trader holds to pull up I know, limits. and
0: she's like a little doll. And she's shaking. She's
1: completely limp.
0: <laughs> well, I liked, I like Jolene Blalock's head nod too. She's just shaking like, a, like she's a toy. <laughs> it's-
1: Chris, I have to say, one of the things I'm actually quite disappointed that you haven't mentioned so far, which is uh, one of my personal favorite elements of these uh, episodes, and that is the unusually tattered and revealing costumes being worn by the augments, which I can only assume are that manner because they've just been too busy fighting for survival and trying to take over the world to worry about obtaining new clothes for themselves.
0: I guess so, yeah. Of course it did give them that wrath of Khan feel though.
1: But uh, to, in all honesty, uh, I think it, it was. it's one of those elements that I've spoken with a few people about that uh, it, it – we perhaps felt a little contrived <laughs> but it, the the thing I like about it and it's consistent with other elements of Enterprise is that it's a, a little bit of that that sexiness that Enterprise tries to bring into Star Trek, you know, gaping holes in, in just the right places and so forth and uh, that's not something that we see in, in the other Star Treks quite as much.
0: No I was expecting Persis to beam over to the enterprise and change into some starfleet blue undies.
1: <laughs> well I thought that she might have gone through the transporter and you know the the effect of, of the technology just kind of completely shredding and decomposing her uniform on um, on uh, energizing and um yeah really disappointed that that didn't happen.
0: <laughs> I think that it, would have been cut from the episode if that it, had happened. It seriously looked
1: like it was going <laughs> to fall apart at any moment.
0: Yeah. You know, speaking of things that would be cut from the episode, one thing I found interesting here in reading up on kind of the background of these stories, and maybe our UK listeners can back this up, is the fact that Channel 4 in the UK, when they aired these episodes the first time, that they expunged, the violence out of these episodes that a lot of stuff was cut. Uh, the Dr. Lucas's torture scene was cut out of the Mm. episode and, and that I can kind of understand. I mean, it was kind of gruesome for Star Trek, although it was not gruesome for American television in the mid two thousands. So I think it was pretty normal for TV at that time, but for Star Trek, surprisingly graphic but more so than that, in the augments, the fight scene between Malik and Persis was cut out of the episode mm. and so Persis just kind of disappears from the story with no explanation.
1: Mm, I wonder what the the fans made of that.
0: Well, I'm sure it initially they must have been very confused until they you know found out that this had been cut out of the episode. And, yeah, you know, you remember 2004 was, well, I don't know exactly what year this aired in the UK, but 2004, every detail of every single thing was not quite yet flying around the internet in the mm. way that it is now. So it may not have been an instant. Hey, they cut a bunch of stuff out of the episode. You know, Eureka moment.
1: I can't imagine um, not having seen that uh, scene on. Cold Station Twelve. To me, that's a defining moment of the whole arc, uh, and it, oh, it is. To me, it makes yeah. that episode. It's um, uh, that—that's absolutely one of my favorite scenes.
0: Well, it's the point at which you know Malik has lost it. It's the point at which Sung shows his weakness to Malik as well, mm. when he releases the pathogens too late, but he releases them anyway, and. That's important because that's how Malik really knows moving into the final part of the story that he can stand up to his father and overthrow yeah. him because he has shown that sign of weakness. so so yeah, it's a very important scene, and yeah, to cut that out, I don't know i I don't like it when they cut stuff out of TV shows or movies in general.
1: It's so interesting that it's Sung's humanity that is seen as his weakness. Uh, I, I find mm-hmm. that just such an interesting concept when we think about, you know, the character arc with Data and him striving to be human. And then we've got Sung, who is uh, really showing his compassion and, you know, and, and as you say, all of this was about, from his perspective, trying to improve humanity and thinking he was doing the right thing. and. He really, as much as he wanted access to that code, he was, was not prepared to do absolutely anything for it. He wasn't prepared to kill another human being. Right. Um, so it, it's such an interesting element when you look at Star Trek as a whole.
0: Yeah, it it definitely is. I like the fact that he is an ancestor of Data and an ancestor of Noonie and Soong. It almost sounds like a gimmick, and casting Brent Spiner could have easily turned out to be a gimmick. And when I found out he was going to be in the episodes, I was actually kind of worried that it was going to come off that way. But it is a case where I think they really hit a home run in this, that it doesn't feel like a gimmick at all. It really feels he feels like a different character. You know, you don't feel like, oh, yeah. there's Prince Spiner, there's Data playing it. No, he, he really comes off as a unique individual. And
1: quite different to Nunion's song as well.
0: Right. Yeah,
1: I mean, so it's very okay. Cool. I've got a question for you, Chris. You know, one of the the theories out there uh, in in relation to the family tree of so the Sungs and eventually data is that Eric Sung actually cloned himself because you know, going back to prison, how was he going to uh, procreate to develop his ancestral line? And of course, mm-hmm. with his ancestors looking so similar to himself. Um, what do you think about that theory?
0: Are you saying that maybe he and Django Fett are the same person? <laughs> <laughs> no, I I think it's an interesting theory. I hadn't really thought about that. I had kind of always just thought about the idea that, you know, he eventually gets released from prison. Archer tells him that, you know, all your research is being stored in a secure location and such, but that's an interesting theory. And I mean, he is a geneticist, so mm. there's there's no reason to think that that wouldn't be a possibility. So I don't know. It's one of those things that we'll never really know, I guess, unless it gets filled in in novels, which I'm not mm. aware of it having been explained in novels. Although it's possible. But uh, yeah, good theory. Makes sense to me.
1: Yeah well it uh, goes along the lines of him having smuggled out his dna along with elements of his research um mm-hmm. so that that can be continued on in the family line and uh of, of course the idea as well that you know that with genetic engineering the mental faculties are completely mimicked mm-hmm. as well but um but, but that's the general theory
0: Yeah I, I like it i hadn't thought about that but Works for me. Maybe that'll become part of my personal canon. We'll find out. I'll have to think (laughs) about it a little bit.
1: The canon of have,
0: I have a lot of unique things in my personal canon. For example, how did Kira and Dukat steal Breen uniforms and still not see the Breen? Because no one's ever seen a Breen. My personal (laughs) canon is the Breen were in the shower. They left their uniforms. They left their refrigeration suits outside while they bathed. Kira and Dukat stole them. That's how I explain it. That's what I mean by my personal canon.
1: Mm, I can buy that.
0: <laughs> well, we were just talking about what happened on Cold Station 12 with him, and it is the big ethical dilemma, right? And we really see the contrast here where we see Dr. Soong, who is you know trying to push Dr. Lucas into revealing the code, but as you said, he's not quite ready to cross that line. Mm. And he tries to justify it. You know, he says, this is on your hands, not mine. He's trying to justify it to himself, but in the end, he really can't. And then you've got Malik, who's like, Father, you know, we could take, we can put him in that chamber over there and we can <laughs> release diseases and then we can take the diseases and bomb planets with it. And it's just such, there's such a contrast mm. there going on ethically.
1: There's also that interesting, you know, father-son tension which we start to see at this point where you can imagine Sung must be thinking what have I done to to raise a son like this? This is not how I raised you. you and imagine that's something a lot of parents would would think um you know particularly with rebellious children you know raised you to have certain values and where did it all go wrong and obviously he left the children to go to jail at 10 years of age but malik was just so different to the other children and uh i i also think though in this scene dr lucas is is just brilliant the way that he interacts with uh dr sung it's just so intense and um and I love that moment where Sung says to him, how can you do this? And he responds, how can you do this? Mm-hmm. And it's just butting heads and it's that final moment where Sung has to decide, you know, how far am I prepared to take this? And And you mentioned he wasn't quite ready yet to do that. I don't think he ever would have been. I think that was the foundation of the character that ultimately right, he did value yeah. human life.
0: Right, yeah, yeah, that's what I meant by that. So, Mm. yeah, he's not going to do that. I mean, he wants the better humanity. I, uh, You know, Malik asks him at one point, is the life of one human worth all of us? And Mm. I don't know, I mean, I think to soon that it it kind of is. I mean, he wants the better humanity. He doesn't Mm. want to just randomly kill people, even if it does...
1: Because otherwise, where does it stop?
0: Right. Yeah, yeah. And that's what we see with Khan, too. You know, he just kind of, he gets out of control. Like, when he goes to Regula and he starts killing everyone, he just, he loses it. But Malik doesn't lose it. Malik's already lost it at some point, long before this story begins. So, Mm. yeah. Uh, And speaking of Malik, tell me what you think about the ending, I already mentioned, you know, the the bird of prey g- going down in flames and all that. Mm. But what I especially did not like in the ending is the bird of prey explodes. You see the enterprise leaving the system like the episode's over, and then there's that little stinger where Malik somehow shows up on the enterprise. What was that? <laughs>
1: I think I would have much preferred it if it just ended with them all gone and done for, and then we're just left with songs remorse.
0: <laughs> I think everyone would have been happier if it had ended. I really don't know what that scene is. And it's
1: very much like um, once we've we've discussed a little bit uh, into darkness. And you know, one of those big action movie scenes where you think it's all yeah. over, and then all of a sudden it all comes back again, and gets thrown right, right back into that last fifteen minutes of action to finish up on.
0: The only thing that I can think of to justify why they put that in there is so that Soong and Malik can have a final father-son mm-hmm. confrontation, so that Sung can realize what he created. And that he's going to die at the hands of his creation. And mm. of course, luckily Archer saves him because he, you know, soon gets up and he's got that big gash across the forehead and and Malik is going to choke him. And he would have if Archer hadn't shot a literally shot a hole through the middle of him. Mm. But that's the only thing I can think of as to why it's there in terms of writing a story and and you want to make this one final point, but it just feels so contrived. It feels so out of place that I, it just shouldn't be there.
1: I also think a part of the reason why it doesn't work for me is because I feel that point should have been well made already. Right. Yeah. And I think ending it on, you know, that, that sacrifice, um, would have had a much greater emotional impact if they just all died and that was the end of it.
0: Right. Yeah, I think so too. So that that gets me every time I see it. Because sometimes I forget it's there almost. I'm like, I watch through and then I see the Enterprise go and I think, okay, we're done. Oh, oh nope, there's Malik again.
1: <sighs> okay. He's back. So, yeah. whatever. I, I think the only other thing that that ending does does do for me is it almost brings me full circle um you know we we start off with this hostility with archer and sung and in the Mm -hmm. end archer saves sung and so that has a little bit that's a good point interest to me
0: that's a good point too so i think we see two reasons why that's there in terms of what susman wanted to say to conclude this whole story. It's just the way it's handled. It just feels mm. like, I don't know if it's like an epilogue. It's like a coda. It's not even a good coda. It's just like, it's like, oh, I forgot I wanted to make this point. Can we just, can you splice this onto the end of the episode, please? <laughs> it's how it feels. So it's it's just kind of weird that it's there. Yeah. The other, one more topic to talk about before we wrap up here just the idea of genetic engineering in general because that is the crux of the episode and, of course, the whole thing surrounding the eugenics wars and Augments and Khan and Soong and Malik. And it's a theme that runs through Star Trek. Of course, we get into it in Deep Space Nine as well because we have Dr. Bashir who Mm. is genetically engineered. And, of course, Dr. Bashir is a case of genetic engineering where somehow it worked and things turned out okay. And, you know, following up deep space nine, they did the eighth season of deep space nine in the novels and the third book technically, cause the, there were two books that started out the relaunch. The third book is called abyss. And in the story, section 31 is trying to get an augment agent. Basically, and there's a scientist who's very much, he's a sympathizer of Colonel Green and Khan. And the book starts out with a quote that is attributed to Starfleet Rear Admiral Bennett. And the quote is, for every Julian Bashir that can be created, there's a Khan seeing waiting in the wings. And I thought that that quote in that book really sums up the whole genetic engineering debate in Star Trek in the first place that even though in some cases it could improve mankind the way Eric Soong wants to do here, the potential for it to really go wrong is so great that it's something that humans and the Federation have chosen to steer clear of.
1: It's an interesting point, but it's... um... I'm not sure that it's a concept I'm overly comfortable with in the way that mm-hmm. it's presented. This, uh, particularly for a sci-fi show, um, uh, in, I uh, have read the um, the book Jurassic Park, and it explores mm-hmm. the nature of science and, and more so than the film get, version, right? Uh, yeah, very much so. Um, yeah. It really looks at the the potential for science to get out of control. That science is about. Um, just discovering just because we can that that that's how it's presented mm-hmm. um, you know and, and it raises these questions of, of you know where could that take us and almost a, a doomsday approach with it and I was reminded of that watching these episodes and there's an there's an element of truth in that that you know uh, and this, this debate has come up recently in terms of stem cell research as well which is quite a controversial topic right we do get the other side of it in these episodes where we hear about uh, Archer's father and uh, the Mm -hmm. illness that he suffered and how he would have benefited from genetic research. And I just, uh, as I said, it does sit a little bit uneasily with me that the message seems to be that there is more bad than good that comes from this.
0: Right. Right. Yeah, but I think I'm on the same side of the fence with you actually because I think that I don't know, it's really difficult. It's any technology is has the potential to lead to very negative consequences. And you if you think about it, genetic engineering is a reality of our future. It's going to happen. It's already happening and it's going to happen. Now whether it happens in the way that it does in the star trek universe where we create Superman who you know take over the earth mm. i don't know but in terms of is it going to be a thing it is and we're going to have to figure out how to deal with it and in that sense you know maybe the fact that star trek portrays it in such a negative light may be beneficial to us because it is a warning and that's what science fiction mm should be doing too is providing warnings i mean you see so much dystopian science fiction and none of us want to to live in a dystopian world yet we do enjoy dystopian stories but they are warnings to us of things that we need to be aware Mm -hmm. of as our society and our uh, technology progresses so so there is that um you know another really good story related to that is gattaca have you ever
1: i have seen that yes
0: that's that's another story, and I think a very real story of where we're headed. And of course, you know, robots, androids—these are things that are going to be in our future. And you know, Battlestar Galactic is a case. It's that's we're going to build uh, life forms like that. So, how do we deal with them?
1: I guess I would like to have seen a little more reflection on the tension in that yeah. debate in the story it it also has the potential to mirror everyday life anyway where you tend to have those that have advantages and those that are disadvantaged mm-hmm. in life uh mm-hmm. you know and the different opportunities and that are afforded different social yeah. groups um and so you know it, that's the kind of story that star trek has the potential to tell really well mhm and uh, as we've said i i think I, I actually, you know, at, at the end of the day, I really do enjoy these episodes. Um, I, I find them quite entertaining and we haven't spoken a lot about the first instalment, but I love the whole Orion slave market. Yeah, that's Part really of that fun, story, yeah. that's a lot of fun. Yeah. It's not yeah. directly relevant to the Augment storyline, but it's it's a, a, it's a great to watch. But um, I, I do think that, you know, overall it is a very action-y trilogy and mm-hmm. I think that, you know, there's, there's some really big issues there and across three episodes I think there was potential for more to be explored going back to an episode like uh, Dear Doctor. You know, it really does get into those ethical debates much more so.
0: I I feel like that's a great point. I feel like this is a case where Enterprise was a victim of the studio's meddling with the show and chasing ratings and such, because if this story were done certainly on deep space nine, but even if the story were done on the next generation, they would have delved more deeply into those issues that you wanted to hear about. Mm. And in season one or two of enterprise, I think they would have delved more deeply into them as well. At this point, they're really trying to get more of the action into the show, I believe. And it's exactly the problem. So we went to see Star Trek Into Darkness. It finally opened here in Japan. And of course, I saw it back in June um, at Paramount. But we went and my wife went with me. And she's not really a Trekkie, but she watched the movie. And as, afterward, I asked her, what did you think about it? And she said, well, it's a really fun action movie, but it lacks depth. And her point was that although they do introduce some interesting issues about relationships and they do get into it to a certain point, Mm. They then stop. They don't go as far into it as they really should for the story to connect with the kind of the story she wants to see. And I think that's what we get in this episode here as well, that we get a little bit too much of the action stuff towards the end. Whereas what would really make this really great Star Trek, what would make this a 10 star episode for me, would be if they went deeper into that debate.
1: And we hear a little bit as well from Flocks about how his people have managed to to deal with right. genetic engineering through, mm-hmm. you know, with, in terms of just purely medical issues. Yeah, and as I said, we, we get we get a little bit of Archer, so it, it's like they were trying to go there, and I, I just think, particularly after that scene in, in Cold Station Twelve and the depth that we're getting to in the story at that point, it, it just. To me, it let itself down a, a little at the end, yeah, um, you could yeah, see they were so. trying to go there just not quite far enough.
0: they didn't quite get there yeah it and like, it is
1: interesting what you've said about you know the similarities with uh, into darkness. It has a very similar feel to me. We've got those Carn elements coming in, and as yeah. you said, the scenery is coming out of the rubble, and it's you know quite obviously just um you know really copying copying that original scene and uh yeah, it, it it to me, I, I love season four and I love the arcs that we see, but um, it, it really, a lot of it seems to be about much more obviously paying homage to the original series than what we see in earlier Enterprise. And mm. to me, this, this trilogy typifies that.
0: Definitely, yeah, I agree. So in closing though, After saying all of this, and I know we've kind of beaten up on these episodes a little bit, but we've also praised them as well. Still overall, as a three-part story, I still am am quite fond of these, and I think it's really good Enterprise, and it's good Star Trek, and uh, there are things that they could have done that would have pushed it over the edge to make it brilliant, Mm. but Brent Spiner is absolutely brilliant in these episodes. There's no doubt about that. And they raise a lot of interesting issues. So, you know, for me, this is still probably like eight vials of pathogen out of ten. <laughs> so it's still, you know, quite high up on my list.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I tend <laughs> to agree. I um I do really enjoy watching it on the whole. And um I think for me, I when I, I reflect back on these three episodes, you know, this is all about song for me. Mhm. And and Brent Spiner absolutely makes this trilogy and so t- rather than focusing on the augment stuff and what that, how, you know, the gaps that that fills in uh for the series, I prefer to look at this as adding some depth to the journey that we see Data go on and and what we hear mm-hmm. of Noonie song and and coming to understand you know the perspective of this man; it would be very easy to look at him as a villain, and a bad guy. Um, but there's great depth to his journey. So yeah, I think for me, I, I'd probably go with eight Orion slave girls on this one too.
0: Wow, that's actually a very um, powerful rating right there. It because, is, you know, dangerous. Eight, exactly eight Orion slave girls. You get all those pheromones in the same room with you. That's um, it's quite a rating.
1: Look out. <laughs> all
0: right. Well, it's been really interesting. I, I really enjoyed our discussion today of the Augment Arc. But, you know, this isn't the only thing we've been talking about on Trek FM this week. So here are some other things that you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, The Orb. The Merit Universe. I think, I think that Cisco got, I mean, he went to that universe. He was like... It's been a while. I've always wanted to sleep with Dax. Here we go. The ready room. Keshara. We never got to see what it looked like from McCoy's point of view. To have Spock's Katra within it, rattling around in his in his brain, and I think it was at least cool to see from Archer's point of view having a having a Vulcan philosopher, uh, you know, sharing brain space with him and and kind of interrupting his day with, 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 with inspirational
1: screensavers. Decade
0: battleship royal rumble
1: as at any contest it gets harder as it goes on and so it was reasonably easy to start with but i don't think you know the sh- was for you. yeah the, the, the ship tom decided to come in was very good to
0: the journey star trek las vegas recap
1: and that might have been when he bought his costume because he came up later for another panel with william shatner and kate mulgrew in a captain's uniform tos style <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying it happened, I'm just thinking.
0: Commentary, Trek Stars. Bid time return. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm going to hypnotize myself. This seems like a reasonable method. I mean that to me is almost like someone saying, like watching Back to the Future and saying, like, yeah, I'm gonna build a time machine out of a DeLorean. Warp five. Directing Enterprise with Robert Duncan McNeil. They slipped and started sliding down like a slide and
1: It was very hard for us to figure out how to film that. And Mm. ultimately, we ended up putting a bunch of dirt on the floor and turning the camera sideways and dragging them across the floor. So all those real tight shots of them sliding down is really just them lying on the stage floor and being dragged 50 feet.
0: Trek news and views.
1: Someone to watch over me. The
0: worst thing about the the Seven of Nine Chakotay
1: romance is Jerry Ryan and Robert Beltram actually asked them, do you want us to do this in a romantic way as it's leading somewhere? And I said to him, No, there's no way you two would ever work as a couple.
0: Literary Treks. From History's Shadow. Well, like, particularly for the UFO lore, uh, for lack of a better term, um, you know, I really wanted it to be as, as close as I could get to being right on, but, you know, obviously I had to make some concessions for the Star Trek take on certain events. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all those shows and get your Trek Talk fix. We have new Star Trek Talk for you every day of the week. And some days we even have two shows for you. And you'll find them everywhere you get your podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zoom. You can download files from the website. You can stream from the website. We have many places for you to get our shows. So go check them out. And you can go to PD for podcast directory to get all the links. Now, Kate... Each week so far, I think every week almost, we've been able to read some reviews from iTunes. And we have several more this week, and I thought that I would read the first one because someone in the iTunes store, someone named 13 of 37, who apparently is from a a really large gang of Borg, at least that's (laughs) how I took it, thinks that you have a really cute Australian accent.
1: Oh my, that's very interesting. (laughs) Um, I certainly appreciate the feedback, although I think in Australia, my accent might just be a pretty standard one, but yes, thank you. Thank you for that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That's very nice to know.
0: But yeah, 13 of 37 left us a great five-star review. He said, fantastic podcast and said that we both seem to prepare well for each show and we hold interesting discussions about enterprise. And that they are learning a lot of cool facts and details about the show, which they hadn't caught yet. And so so that's great. And I'm glad that we're able to bring some of that stuff forward, to everyone. And, of course, we have to thank Brian Braga and Dave Rossi and Robert Duncan McNeil and Doug Dr. Drexler for bringing that information to you because those are the guys that have all that cool insight information but we're we're glad that warp 5 can be a vehicle for them to share that stuff with everyone out there in the audience so thank you 13 of 37 very much for that review and uh kate we have another one here from liquid cross now liquid cross has been leaving us reviews for quite a few of our shows recently and we're becoming quite fond of liquid cross and what did they have to say about warp 5
1: well liquid cross has also given us a five-star review and in particular, they've commented on, uh, you know, the fact that we have brought quite a few interviews already on Warp 5, the ones that you've mentioned in particular. And um, they've kind of made made the comment that, you know, as we've said, so much is available on the internet nowadays, you know, that the moment a bit of information becomes available, it's available to everyone. And, and I guess it's very easy to uh, assume that everything you're ever going to know about Trek is already out there. So Liquid Cross has uh, commented quite graciously that they've enjoyed hearing the stories that, that we've brought to the Trek community through these guests, things that, that perhaps people hadn't heard before and I really appreciate that feedback because that's certainly something that I pride myself on, that I aim to do with this podcast is to bring new and meaningful material to the Trek community, whether that's through us just talking together, Chris, or, or through the guests that we have had on the show.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I've I've learned a lot of new stuff through this show as well. You know, just talking to Brandon and Dave and, and Doug and Robbie and everyone. So it's been great in the same way for me too. So I'm glad that we're able to do that. So thanks so much, Liquid Cross, for yet another review of A Treka Film Show. We really appreciate your support there. And then we have one more. And Kate, this is our very first review from Australia for warp five this is in the australian itunes store and this is someone named gary delum i'm just going to read it out it's gary d l u m so i'm assuming it's delum
1: yes i'm sure he has a very cute australian accent as well
0: (laughs) he probably does yeah (laughs) hear that gary you have a cute australian accent kate said (laughs) it right here on the show so, so Gary said that he that you actually directed him to Warp Five Gate, and he really enjoyed listening to the interview with Brannon, and is looking forward to the rest of the shows. So, we're looking forward to bringing you more shows ourselves. So, thanks everyone for all those reviews and. To everyone else, if you enjoy the show, please drop by iTunes. It only takes about 30 seconds to leave us a star rating and a written review. We love to hear from you. And it also really does help people who are searching for Star Trek Enterprise podcasts in iTunes, which are difficult to find, locate the show in the iTunes store so that they can also enjoy Warp 5. So we would really appreciate you dropping by and leaving us a rating there. And Kate, let's tell people how to contact us in other ways. If you'd like to send us a message, you can go to trek.fm.com contact. There's a form there. Choose to send to a show and choose warp 5, and that will come to both of us by email. You can also leave us a voicemail by clicking on the tab that you'll find on the right-hand side of any page on the website. When you click that, a box will appear. You can use your webcam's microphone to record a voicemail and then upload it to us as an MP3 file. If you'd like to talk to other listeners, we have forums where you can do that. Go to trek.afilm slash forums. There's a section there for Enterprise and one for Warp 5. And in social media, you'll find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekafilm and on Twitter under username trekafilm. Now, Kate, when you're not over at Cold Station 12, you know, trying to help clean up that whole mess that Malik made, where can people find you?
1: Well, Probably the first stop is the Orion slave market. But if you can't find oh, me, oh, you there, like
0: to hang out there, do you?
1: I do, I do, yeah. In my spare time, anyway. But when I'm not there, uh, you, the other place you're going to find me is on Twitter at Kate is Great OK. If you'd like to have a chat with me, like Gary did, either about the podcast, the discussions that Chris and I have, the interviews, anything you're interested in, you may want to know if we've already covered it, just contact me on Twitter. Um, I'm happy to talk. I'll follow you back. Whether that's about Star Trek or, or anything else in particular, I'm also a crochet enthusiast, Chris, and I'm making a crochet Captain Archer at the moment. So I'm more than happy to share pictures of those accomplishments with people too.
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to your crochet malik though.
1: Oh, that may have to be the next project, complete with ripped uniforms.
0: <laughs> yes. And your crochet purses with the, the <laughs> uniform just about to unravel and fall off of
1: it. That's right.
0: That's real talent in crocheting right there. All right. Well, if you'd like to find me, you can find me on Twitter as well. My username is C Brian Jones. That's the letter C and Brian with a Y. You can find me pretty much everywhere on social media under that same username. And you can find me at my personal website at cbrianjones.com, where I do talk about things other than Star Trek. If you happen to be a college football fan, drop by. I'll be talking about that over there now that the season is kicking off as well. And you'll also find me elsewhere on the network with Matthew Rushing twice a week. On Sundays, we do Literary Treks, where we talk Star Trek books and comics and interview authors. And on Mondays, we do The Orb, where we talk about Deep Space Nine very much in the way that we talk about Enterprise here on Warp 5. And on Tuesdays, you'll find me on the Ready Room, where I'm joined by other hosts from all across Trek FM, as well as other special guests, and we discuss Star Trek news and all five live-action Star Trek series. So check that out as well. Also, before we go, we'd like to ask you to support our sponsors for this week's show. Your support of our sponsors is very important to making it possible for us to bring Warp5 to you every week. First, there's Squarespace, the web's best hosting in CMS, that makes it simple for you to create a beautiful blog, website, portfolio, and online store really, anything you can imagine. I've been using Squarespace for six years. I absolutely love it. So go try it out for yourself. You can get a free 14-day trial, no credit card required. And then when you sign up, you can use offer code TREK8 to save 10% off your lifetime purchase on new accounts. And if you choose the annual plan, you can get a free custom domain registration as well. And all that helps us bring Warp 5 to you every week. So we really thank Squarespace for their support of Trek FM. Also, please visit trekfan.org. This is a great chance for you to come together with other fans to solve puzzles and collaborate on real-life mission objectives. And along the way, you can win great prizes. So turn your love for Star Trek into something that can help us move toward that Star Trek future that we all love. Visit trekfan.org, support them, support Warp 5, and we really thank them for their support of Trek FM. And also, Kate, you know I love jazz, right? You love jazz too?
1: I love jazz.
0: Everybody loves jazz. Well, not everybody loves jazz. I don't know if Spock loves jazz, but Paul does, and she's Vulcan. And if you also love jazz and the smooth version of Where My Heart Will Take Me that we use here on Warp 5 as our theme, go and get a copy of Andrew Allen's album, Smooth Federation, because Andrew has that plus nine other jazz renditions of music from across star trek it's really a fantastic album i listen to it all the time and i know you're gonna enjoy it too you'll find it in itunes or on amazon so go pick it up and support what andrew is doing over there and lastly if you'd like to personally support what we're doing here at trek fm there's a way for you to do that as well and we have some cool aliens for you in exchange, if you go over to film slash donate you 'll find eight alien themed badges and art prints. These are custom illustrations done by Topa Ushi, who does most of the artwork that you see on our website. You can mix and match badges and art prints, choose what you like. We have different contribution levels that you can make, and your donations help us cover the costs of production, storage, and bandwidth that's needed to bring Warp 5 to you every week. So please go over to slash donate, help us out, help us keep this programming coming to you, and we really appreciate your support of the network.
1: So thanks everyone again for listening. Join us again next week here on the Decon Chamber for another episode of Warp 5.